Welcome back or welcome to Canterbury Rugby's Coach's Corner podcast. I'm Ricky Tahiri and I'm joined today by one of the most charismatic people I know um, and his smile can light up any dim park around Canterbury Rugby at the moment, Mr Jimmy Sinclair. How are you, brother? I'm Kia bro. Kia ora team. Uh, I'm real good, man. Good to be here. Grateful to be here. Uh, thanks for... Thanks for the great introduction. That might be the best introduction I think I've ever had. Right. So. I can I couldn't think of a um a more fitting intro actually. But um <laughs> bro, like you're a Todonga boy with a little passion for uh ice hockey chucked in for good measure. You've got a um a love for rugby. Um you started out coaching out at Southbridge, you're an Olympian. Um done a lot of work around Canterbury Sevens. You've done a whole bunch of other stuff, especially in the um, coach education space for us at the Rugby Union. Um, and you've started up your own wee company called The People Outfit. What have I missed, mate? Like, no, what haven't you done? Oh, I don't know. Skydived. No, <laughs> no, I don't know. You make that sound good. It's funny what, what Google can say about people. You've got to be careful what you read these days. But, um, but yeah, I did yeah did grow up in Tauranga. That was a great place. Went to Tauranga Boys College. Set a great foundation, I think, for the love of sport at that school. Um, yeah, and then ice hockey was. That has been my main – well, that was my main sport for like a good 16 years of my life, yeah. And rugby actually always had second priority for a long time. But then as I, as I started kind of working in sport, rugby and coaching and kind of started taking over. Sweet. Um, I guess, bro, the the big thing, um, and I just couldn't think of a better guest to get on um, and to chat about. You are probably, like we said at the top, like one of the most charismatic people I know. Um, and I think one of your biggest, one of your biggest strengths, you've got heaps obviously but one of your biggest one is like you're able to find the fun and the enjoyment out of everything like what is it for you around around fun like how how important is it to you and in, in in the way that you operate yeah well I think yeah people people I suppose um when you reflect people always joke I suppose and I'm always Looking at life, you know, with the glass half full and optimistic and um, I guess, yeah, and I, and I do look at fun. I, th- I think in the sporting context from a coaching point of view, if we look at the root of why a lot of people start playing sport or, or start getting active, a lot of it is based around just connection with their mates and, and having a good time. I mean, one of our really good friends at the moment, the, their son's just started playing rugby and and mate, like I think he's touched the ball twice when I've gone to watch him play. But but the fun that he is having just by running around with his mates, having a coach that gives him a high five at the end of training and stuff is is totally um like he just is obsessed with rugby, right? And I'm like, that's awesome. But if if you were to just watch from afar and go, is that kid like he's only touched the ball once? Like how how enjoyable is that? But it's not about it's not actually about the game, it's about the connection with mates. It's about being made to feel special by the coach or the parents. So I think at the root cause of it, when we when we reflect on why we play sport, a lot of it does come back to it needs to be fun. And then if and if we can as a coach somehow tie in 
learning to that, or if we have fun, then it also makes learning easier, you know. So I think that's a big part of probably why I believe of we should always be looking at things with the glass half full and be trying to make an environment that is enjoyable. Because, you know, like like we say, like um, like a lot of psychologists always reference, you know, the, the antidote or the, I suppose, the antidote to having a good time is enjoyment. You know, if we're enjoying ourselves, then we're going to play well, we're going to express ourselves, we're going to play without fear of failure, which is all the stuff that coaches want out of their players, right? But if we... If we play with it, if we create an environment that's not enjoyable, then you know, then we cramp up into our shells. Players don't express themselves. So I think that's probably something to reflect on. Yeah, it's funny how you talk about your um, your friend's kid just running up and down and only getting two touches of the ball, and he's having a having a blast. My daughter played basketball for the first time last year, and I've never seen so much aimless running um, <laughs> by 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 an eight-year-old um, in my life. Like she was just literally running the lanes just from hoop to hoop to hoop to hoop. And she may have only touched the ball once, but by crikey, she was like having a having a ball of a time out there. Because you're right, it is it is that connection bit of like being out there with your, with your mates and your friends and they're laughing and they're running and they're doing this and that. And so it looks like everybody's having fun, so I'm having fun. Mate, hundred percent. And I, even on that, like I think going a bit deeper than that. If you if you think about like the, the the playground at school, like if you were to just go to a playground and close your eyes and and listen, like the the laughter that you hear, the the conversations, the excitement levels, the volume, it's massive. And then I think kids might not even be kids might play a game with no equipment. Like they might make up some form of crazy game. You know, we've all been there as kids and the bark is lava and you've got to chase each other around, whatever. I, I think, yeah, that's where, like you say, like the kids might not be touching the equipment or the ball or whatever, but just because they're running around getting active, connecting with their mates, that's that's the fun bit. So how do, I suppose as coaches, the question is, how do we replicate that? You know, how do we provide opportunities within training for that stuff to happen? Yeah, so probably instantly, like the question is, or the or maybe it's not the question, but the curiosity around is like, how do you like those ad hoc games that you like that you're talking about? How important are those? But then also us as as adults and grown ups, how often are we do we look at fun as like fun's not learning? Like this is learning is you have to do you have to do this this and this. Like it's not fun. Like as adults, that's that's how we because we we do our work. Not, we do our nine to five or or whatever it is, and then you're like, oh, I enjoy my work, and my work is doing spreadsheets or whatever it is. But <laughs> you know what I mean. So like playing a game, that's that's not learning. That's just playing a game. I'm not yeah, just yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. So I guess what you're trying to say is. Um, yeah, how do we change our beliefs sometimes or challenge ourselves to be like, if we do hear laughter and excitement and things like that at training, I suppose people could challenge that. Well, is that learning? Because sometimes learning can be frustrating, right? We, we know that. Like learning can be tough, challenging, you know, people will re- reference to the learning pit, you know, it's dark, you know, I feel uncomfortable. And that's totally, that is totally part of the learning process too. But Part of the being motivated process and part of um, 
the willingness to motivate people to put their 100% effort in or try their hardest is, is about creating an environment that's enjoyable and fun. So it's not saying that it's all um, picking daisies and, and chasing butterflies out there if we're, if we're coaching, but what we do need to understand as coaches is if we get enjoyment, we're going to get better performance anyway because people feel connected to the group. They are excited to come to training. Like a really good term we use is, you know, at the start of training, how do you catch them before you coach them? So, and that can look like energizers at the start of training. That can look like making sure that you you do a high five to every kid before they show up or every player or a fist pump, whatever it needs to be. Something as simple as that is, is genuinely I've caught their attention before I've actually got to the hard skills of the sport that we're coaching, whether it be basketball, tennis, cricket, whatever. Or it might be at the start of training, you might be in mini teams and let's have a mini team challenge, you know. And that could be, I don't know, that could be as random as you like or as creative as you like. But again, it creates excitement, fun, laughter, which is going to lead into a more motivated playing group or more motivated athletes that are excited to be at training. And then, they, and then they look forward to training rather than Groundhog Day, you know. Let's jump to another cold ground or another cold stadium and right for the warm-up, on the line, you know, high knees. And then everyone's like disengaged straight up. So, yeah, if you can catch them, then coach them second. That's, you know, we need to catch them with their emotion, get them excited, having fun, connecting as a group. Yeah, I guess, well, I wrote down that that awesome um, thing, like catch them before you coach them. I think that's um, that's a wicked that's a wicked point that I think the coaches and parents and athletes that are um, that are listening in, like if if they can write that down, make sure you write that down, guys, because it's a wicked point. <laughs> make sure you catch them before you coach them, because um, how often do you see it? Like I've I've had it in my time. Like you turn up to a um, a training session and all of a sudden like you've you've lost the group before you've even started because you haven't actually caught their um caught their attention or caught their their curiosity to want to, to play and, Mate, and get into 100%. it. Like even on my own reflections, like the start of training for me used to look like sit down, right, here's three clips and all the stuff we did wrong that we need to get better at. <laughs> you know, and if I think about catching <laughs> it took me ages to learn that though. Like and and to actually understand, like, man, how come everyone looks half asleep in this room when I look back to the room? And then, and then we did. We had to, we had to start inventing things in the changing sheets that were like icebreakers, essentially, or energizers, paper scissors, rock games, little things like that to get the boys laughter. Because these boys were coming off the farm, off the farm, off the building site. Some of them were lawyer, you know, like all these cross sections of society. Yeah, all volunteers. And again, at the end of it, they're community rugby, community rugby players who are there to connect with their mates. So, so we had to reflect as a coaching group to be like, I think we're getting a bit too serious around here. Like we need to we need to bring the fun back somehow. Yeah. So there's there's lots of things you can do. I think to even simple things. I've seen this done really well in a youth worker context. I had a great friend who was a great touch player. And you know he he was um, yeah he was awesome. But one day he was coaching us, and he it was I was a player in this context, and he just asked us talk to the person next to you about what you're grateful for for the day. And I was like, did he really just ask? Did he really just ask us that question at the start of touch training? Like we've all got our boots on, ready to go, nice summer's night. But mate, straight away even that there was a great connection piece for the group to get excited because you know, and a lot of them were just grateful to be able to come down to training. 
you know, so sometimes by having, you know, that's another simple like way to catch them before you coach them, I think, just to get a group connected. Now that's wicked. I think um, another thing that uh, I might, I'll bring this bit in a little bit later. Um, and I think what's real great is that I'll, I'll go back to that catch them before you coach them. Like I'll let in on a little secret that this isn't the first time that we've had this chat. Um, so there was a wee bit of a faux pas with um, with us not getting the sound on the first time that we had this chat. So this is our um, our take two, which is which is brilliant. Um, but you touched on about like when you reflected back, um, and I'm guessing that was back in your Southbridge days. Are you able to take us on a wee um, a wee tour? And can you paint us a wee picture of like what your what your coaching journey was was like to obviously where you are today? Yeah, man. Well, my first, my first ever coaching journey started um, coaching ice hockey originally. Like, I, I just started as an under-16 player, and I got asked to coach the under-14 team, which was half my mates, like, because the way, the way it works is, you know, if you were a second year older, then you'd move up a grade, and then, you know, your, your mates would stay down. So that was a real, like, to start with, that, I mean, geez, if I was to go back and watch myself coach, then I'd, jeepers, I think I just... Yeah, I didn't coach any. I wouldn't say I was coaching, to be fair. But anyway, that was my first first step. And I actually coached at Christchurch. My first rugby coaching was actually at Christchurch um, Rugby Club under Michael Donovan, which was awesome. And he he challenged me a lot. With we had a great group at that club, like some guys like Simon Nebone and some people that have gone on and done quite well for themselves, and just and Nick Martin, like some really good people. Um, and that's kind of where I first learned about theming. So the power of theming to make things fun and, and classic classic uh, stereotyping here. But we created like a military theme within those couple of years that we were there, which which actually stood well for a long time. But I think that really brought the enjoyment factor to a lot of to a lot of players. Uh, make, again, not making something Groundhog Day and time with them. And then yeah, we went. And then I was always a um, strength and conditioning coach, kind of on the side back then. That was like my full-time job um and I was really lucky I was I was working for the military at the time and yeah I, w- I would always do a pre-season with Southbridge to help them get fit and every year they'd be like mate can you come coach we're like no nah, I'm coaching at Christchurch like you know that's I live in town and, but anyway they finally got me out there one year and um yeah it was it was awesome that was the first time I'd ever led a program so I was put in the head coach role I had a great group of coaches, Doug McGuinness and um, Mike Rowe, who are just awesome men. And Doug had been there a long time, so he he knew lots about the club and he was just a great man, really good team-first coach and, and really good at just connecting with the boys. Um, and Rowe was all about having a good time too and he's, a, he's an expert at, at his own field with, with the scrums, which is something I know nothing about. Um, so I suppose my job in that, in that role became like, Literally, how do I get the boys connected? And we had we had lots of different cultures, you know, like Pacific Island players. We had lots of um, boys that had played massive amounts of games. We had lots of young players too, who potentially were coming into an environment where there is um, potentially like almost like a hierarchy. You know, there was senior players who had played over 150, 200 games, and these young guys had talent, so they wanted to prove themselves. So my role within that year was connecting the group and connecting them to a um, I suppose what we were trying to achieve and getting them to align to a common goal, but but mate, I'll, I'll never forget um, 
you know, it came to July and, and it was great. We used to have regular leadership group meetings just as a health check, how's things going, team. And there was, you know, that because it was cold and getting a bit, they were like, and we don't, we only lost one game that whole year, but they were like, you know, I feel as though we're just, we're not as connected as we were at the, at the, at the start of the season. And one of the senior players goes to me, you know, you know that night that you brought out top team? I don't know if you know top team. It's a thing that Sport Canterbury does. They just bring out a trailer full of equipment and then you just basically have like many, there's like water fight stuff. There's, you know, balancing. It's just basically a night to have many team challenges. And it's funny because those players, even at senior level, their reflection to me around why the group was flat is they hadn't had a fun session in like a month. And that's where I probably started really reflecting around, geez, it's not all about rugby. Like it actually has to be about having fun and getting teams connected because, mate, that night that we brought that trailer out, like was just a, no rugby, no boots. It was just a whole, it was just a laughing fest. And then we had a feed on afterwards. But I think in terms of the connection that created because of the, you know, the, the bit of the banter it creates amongst the group and, you know, big old Izzy finds out there getting soaked with water, you know, like it's just a, yeah, it's just a great night. So I think that really highlighted like if you have fun, you create better relationships, better connection, which ultimately helps performance, right? So I think that's just become a strong part of, um, well, that was the first kind of indication that I had that it's, it just can't all be about the X's and O's or the on-grass stuff. You've got to get the group connected emotionally yeah. to, to, to each other, right? And then they're gonna then they're gonna play play for each other. So yeah, and then and then from there, I was really lucky with my coaching journey. Did Southbridge for a couple of years, and then started working at the Kinder Rugby Union, and that's where I found Sevens. Actually, coaching my wife originally, and then um, yeah, and then and then luckily enough, fell onto some rep stuff and. And then some New Zealand stuff with New Zealand rugby later on down the track. And yeah, been really lucky. And I love Sevens because I think Sevens is one of those games that allows for expression. You know, you, you, it's very, um, it's just so creative. There's so much space. Players can do so many things in their own way to express the way they like to play the game. Whereas, not saying 15s doesn't do that, but you know, there's, there's 15 people on the field, so less space. So there has to be a little bit more structure. Yeah, I guess um, that's that's wicked. Like, I really like that part that you're talking about. Oh, your whole journey is incredible, bro. But like the that top teams, like I've been pretty lucky enough in some of the some of the roles that I've held within high schools and stuff like that. And so I've seen how cool and how fun and exciting that top team trailer um, yeah. is when it rolls up and and the way that those kids kind of start drawing to it. And so it's pretty cool to hear that there's um, there's grown men that get just as excited as these kids. How much do you reckon as coaches though, and this is probably an awkward awkward transition to this question, but as coaches um, that we don't really allow ourselves to enjoy coaching or enjoy that fun that like, because mm. another thing that I wrote down is um, we talk about a, being a well-drilled team. But yeah. you know what I mean? And like when you hear a well-drilled team and we go back and and it's funny because you talked about that military theme, like that's what the military is. They're really they're a well-drilled piece of machinery and this is how they yeah. are, stuff like that. But imagine if we could change that phrase to like a, a well-fun team or a well-energised team or like, and then that would give us almost permission as adults to have fun and play with, 
with the kids or even like if we're working with kids or even just our players in general? Mate, 100%. Or even something to say like what a creative team or, you know, like what an awesome team that just expresses themselves across the park with different individuals or – because you're so right. Like if we think about what's a well-drilled team, that's a you got yeah, that is an interesting comment. I, I think if you look around the world, you, you could argue that there's certain cultures that are well-drilled in terms of, you know, Japan is – their culture is very like do it like this and – so the struggle sometimes when Japanese players come here on a on a tour or like they come to a club to spend a couple of years here is it takes a little bit for them to adjust to the how New Zealanders play with a bit of creativity and a bit of flair because that's actually in, in like that's in that's in our culture right like that's what like I mentioned earlier that's what the playground looks like at school that's where we learn to be creative and curious and explore and if we hurt ourselves we learn from it whereas they're a little bit more. Um, orientated about like your superior or the more knowledgeable other tells you exactly how to do something and then you do that, no questions asked. And I'm not saying there's any right or wrong, it's just different cultures. Um, but you're right, we do, we, I think coaches, I think when we look at success, defining success, or if we, if we were to ask ourselves, what is the role of a coach? I think you'd get a hundred different answers from a hundred different people, which is, which is fine. But the challenge there is sometimes the way a coach is defined is based on how many games they win, you know? Yeah. Compared to, um, you know, how many players return the next year to that group or to that same club or that same school. I mean, I heard a stat, a real random one about three years ago, which blew my mind is one of the people working at the Chiefs said they used to have a like a like a scale that reflected the, the amount of volume and laughter that happened at training, even at the professional level. And that was a gauge of then they wanted they wanted that information because they knew if the boys were engaged and excited and there was high volume at training in terms of laughter and excitement, that would obviously correlate across to the rugby field. So my challenge to coaches would be what what do you define as success within the context that you coach in, whether that be under 14s, whether it's premier grade, whether it's Canterbury representative level, like what, you know, at the end of the season, how are you going to, what are you going to measure yourself against? And if it's going to be how many games you won, you're going to probably find yourself very mentally drained at the end of it. Um, and I, I mean, I, you know, I think Scott Robinson's a great example of that. I, I remember um, like one week I was walking under work and it was like early morning and, um, you know, the, the team, the team was training the gym and it's like sounded like a nightclub in there. And then, and then I like had a quick look in and there's like literally a DJ like on a stand like before a big game and he's DJing and the boys have put in their requests for like what song they want to get played for that morning gym session and you know so even at the professional level I, don't get me wrong they, they, they are, they're professional so they know how to switch it on and switch it off but they're in the middle of a gym session working hard but having fun at the same time. Yeah. So I think that's you can you can mix it right. You can yeah. allow players to be able to switch in and out of having fun and work hard, play hard mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the, you've said this a couple of times, and like I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that there's, there's got to be some research out there, and there's got to be some science behind it. But like curiosity and fun, like how, like how intertwined do you think those two? those two things are like we we talk about if we 
or curiosity is just kind of that and you want to go and understand or find out what's going to happen and then obviously it's fun to and that's kind of is that like almost a fun fun term for for learning yeah that's a great question what's the what's the link between having fun and and how does that enhance curiosity yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if this will answer your question, but I, I always found this quote from Albert Einstein that, you know, that doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And I think often we do that in a lot of sports, right? Like we start our pre-season, we do the same pretty much. How do we train during the week, Tuesday, Thursday? You know, like we do a lot of the stuff, but we often expect different results. Whereas if we take an approach of like, okay, well, we have to be curious to find new solutions, right? Yeah. And part of being curious, like I said, if you're having fun, there's a lot more freedom to play without fear of failure, right? Because you're right in the mix of enjoyment. If you've got enjoyment and you've got fun happening, there's a lot less fear of failure because you know you're not going to get drilled if you make a mistake by your coach or you know that your dad dad or your mum is not going to give you a a 30-minute lecture on the drive home or you're not going to get roasted by your mates for for doing something that they thought was wrong if if the environment is allowing for fun, which is which is ultimately, if we allow people to express themselves and be creative, that's where the magic happens. I, I mean, I, I think I spoke about this in the last um, time we caught up, you know, but like the Frosby flop or the, the high jump technique, you know, before that was invented, it was the scissors, yeah. So, like, if we didn't allow for that creativity, like, that wouldn't have – and there's so many examples of that across the history of sport where the teams that have excelled or done well have often explored something different to allow them to be better than everyone else. So I think if we're not curious or we're not making an enjoyable environment, then really we are just doing often the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, yeah. which, is, which is, again, like, you, you, you're going to find yourself frustrated if you're doing that kind of work. Yeah, I'm. I'm just while you're talking, like I'm, like I'm listening, and like everything that you, everything that you're saying is like wicked. Like, um, but it's just got me really intrigued around that because how important learning. Because as coaches, we want to, we want our athletes to learn a skill to be able to execute mm-hmm. a skill set. So, like, I've just written down here, like, learning equals curiosity plus creativity, plus fun, like, <laughs> nice. Like, like, it's kind of like if you can kind of get all those three things tied in and without, without one of those things, learning's not going to happen in a sense. And, and like you talk about that whole, that whole insanity, that Albert Einstein quote, like if we keep just doing this part and this part, like if we keep doing this drill because we know that the kids like this drill, but there's no real learning attached to it. It's not yeah. gonna it's not gonna become fun anymore. So no, that's right. And I, I think this is where the defining fun, like every environment will have its own version of fun, right? Like whether that is because for some of us, like some 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 people find it really fun to have a bit of competition. Yeah. You know, like and in a rugby context, it could be like, right, you're in two teams and the goal is move the ball from A to B as a group as fast as you can. You know, and, and that creates fun because it creates a bit of competition because people enjoy a little bit of a healthy competition is what we're after. So if we can do that and then create 
I don't care if you make mistakes, but what I would love for you to see is to put 100% effort in. I'd love to see your hands up early to catch the ball or ask the group questions. Hey, team, as a group, if we stand five metres apart, there's six, six people in each team. How can you move that ball faster than the other team? So get the, get the group to figure out, you know, what can they do to move the ball faster? So if we can, use, and going back to your little equation that you made up, which is quite cool, you can see how there we've got the competition is the fun part, the curiosity is the way the coach is asking the questions to get the players to think for themselves. And then from that, we'll get a bit of enjoyment and we will get a learn, we'll get learning from that, right? Yeah. Because they're learning how to be curious, they're learning how to solve their own problems. And what do we want on game day? We want them to be able to solve the problems that are in front of them. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's real... There's, I think that's another thing too, just to, I think, redefining fun. Like it doesn't mean that it's all just, it's not just all about laughter and all that stuff. There are other elements of fun, e.g. like how do we make training a little bit competitive where we can allow players to get the best out of each other sometimes. So what does that look like? I mean, the other night, um, which surprised me, we, we did some work with, with the Canterbury FBC team and um, I think I did a whole, uh, what did I do, a whole session, I think it was around offloading. So it was all game-based, um, competition-based. Um, and then at the end, yeah, one of the girls made that comment. Oh, geez, that was quite fun. And that was the last thing I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, I hope, I hope you learn about sighting the target, you know, finishing, finishing with your hand to the target. That was the skill we were trying to focus on. And we were trying to work on support lines and running lines. Um, but, you know, when their reflection, because the whole session was game-based learning, was just that was fun. Yeah. So if, but then if we think about the learning that's attached to that in terms of their memory, if something's fun and enjoyable, the other content that we discussed within that session is going to have a stronger link because it was enjoyable for them. So yeah. If it's enjoyable, it's memorable, right? So if you can make training fun and enjoyable, there's a memory bank in there. If, if training's boring, well, then if you're trying to do all this technical work, and it's boring, the chances of them are logging that in their memories a lot less as well. So, yeah, I suppose, yeah, so many things to consider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's, but that's, that's kind of, um, that's wicked praise or wicked feedback from, from the players, don't you think, to say, hey, that was fun. Because as, as, um, as coaches, like you're obviously looking out for, for those um that skill set execution, like whatever the yeah. cues are that you're trying to that you're trying to coach in that um, that game is like you're able to see that, so you're measuring their success, you're measuring their success of whether or not they're able to do it. Then, like if you can't see it, then you'll tweak and give them feedback on, hey, you do this part, but yet at the end of it, they're just going, okay, well, I might have learned to offload, but heck, that was. That was an awesome game. And then if if they can remember the game and then they've got a moment to themselves, it's like, oh, I've got a game. And then all of a sudden they're practicing their offloads and and this like hundred percent. That's right, because it because it's enjoyable. And if like like any human behavior, if something's enjoyable, we often go back to it. E.g., you know, how many of us eat chocolate? Because at the time it's enjoyable. But that's <laughs> maybe not it's not so healthy for us. There's lots of things we do in life that are you know, positives and, and potentially not so good. But often the number one thing triggering us to why we behave the way we do is, is linked to I enjoy it. So yeah. we want positive behaviour, e.g., like you say, a high elbow on the offload or, you know, finish with your fingers to the target on our pass. Like how do we create the environment where that skill is getting an opportunity to grow or the players getting a chance to do that? 
but it's in an enjoyable environment. Because if that's what's happening, mate, they, if they, you know, it's not that great saying behaviour goes where recognition flows. Yeah. So if a really good coach is making it enjoyable, giving you great feedback on something around a skill you're doing, mate, you're going to keep doing that behaviour. It's like, um, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but, but there's a young fellow, for some reason, I don't know, my parents must have told me to use my manners a lot, but lots of people when I'd stay at their house would say, oh, you've got great manners, young fella. And so what did my behaviour become? Oh, thank you, please, blah, 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 because people were saying it was it was good behaviour. And then the same yeah. can happen if you get poor record, or like if you get negative stuff thrown at you, then we end up doing negative stuff, right? Like don't yeah. touch that, don't do that. What do we end up doing? Doing it. So I think that's another thing to think about. It's if we want people to do something as a player, then our job as a coach is to make the environment enjoyable so that they can repeat and you know and give that recognition when the behavior happens. Yeah. Not always looking for all the stuff they're doing wrong, because that's where the behavior's gonna go if you're telling them what they're doing wrong all the time. Yeah, and there's probably like three real key points in, in what you've just said there. Um, bro, is like that that don't don't do this like we've had this discussion or we had this discussion the first time that we talked about it um and we also had the discussion the pre-pod so this is our probably our third time but like that whole don't touch this hot sizzling plate i think was the um yeah and then but then people are like or don't touch this it's hot but yet as as humans we want to find out actually well how hot is it like so don't run down that channel well, why not? What's going to happen if I do run down that channel? I'm going to find I'm going to find that out. Or it gives us a focus, that focus point, doesn't it? Like I was talking to Dunners the other day, and he was saying how Jace, um, Jace Ryan used to tell him off all the time. Stop saying don't. Stop using that word. And he's just like, <laughs> oh. But he used to say he he used to say like um, like he's talking about um, like don't run it. Don't run at shoulders, run at weak shoulders, but they'd always run at shoulders. So now he's now he has to change his whole language around and be like, just run to space. Like because even yeah. the word shoulder goes, okay, well, I'm not gonna run at shoulders, but then you, they find themselves at the shoulders. It's just like, well, if you run to space, you're gonna find yourself in space. So run to space. And so that language really, really does matter. Um, and then the next piece around that was just to, you're talking about like that feedback and I try, hopefully I didn't butcher it, but behavior grows where recognition shows. Um, oh, nice. Is that what you, that's what you said, eh? Well, I said behavior goes where recognition flows. Oh. But, but your one's just as good. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still practicing my active listening and uh, interviewing skills. Um but there's that cool piece from Carol Dwork around that how important feedback is to, especially to to youth, but to anybody. Like, if you give them give them feedback on, like close feedback, um, in regards to oh that was good, oh that was like real, has nothing to do. Oh great catch pass, or what was great about it? Like yeah yeah, and that was then it kind of it's. They don't really understand, but then they don't grow as well. Where if you give them really specific feedback, and it's not really on the on the outcome, but more on the on the how they did it, they become more more resilient and to try 
new things because I uh, engaged a little bit more with the challenge? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, the biggest challenge I think you've reflected on it too, where you talked about it earlier, is, is as a coach, you know, the, the question we often ask to coaches if we're doing, like if I was to observe, observe any coach, and let's say they're doing like a run-catch-pass activity, if I said to them, what are you watching, what are you looking for? Often what we're looking for is outcomes, e.g., you know, for, um, how many drop balls are there? Or how many times do we catch the ball in one minute? Which is all outcome-driven. So we, if we coach all only the outcomes and we don't coach the process, then a lot of our feedback does come. Great work, team. We didn't drop the ball for a minute. Or, you know, there was great catch pass. Or, oh, team, that's not good enough. We dropped the ball three times across that whole drill. You know, let's do 30 press-ups as a punishment. Don't get me wrong, like, there's nothing wrong with doing a little bit of stretch stuff sometimes, you know, putting something in place to help players deal with anxiety, whatever that might look like. But again, if the outcome is we want players to feel safe to express themselves, be creative, have autonomy, then you're not going to get that by, by, by just giving those outcome-based things. So we need to look for things like you say and give feedback on effort or give feedback on, I love the way you got your hands set real early. Or I love the way you finished your pass to the target. Um, you know, I love the way that you you got back in time to set your feet nice and early and square up to the defender. Whatever, whatever your feedback is, is it has to be linked to the process rather than just looking. Because it's really easy for a coach to just sit back and start pointing the finger at you know we're dropping the ball. Um, your hands aren't up early enough. Like all these. All these things, but again, going back to you know, behaviour goes where the recognition flows. You really do if you can be really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? purposeful around and really specific around the feedback you give to players. You will honestly see like one greater engagement from your players because they'll feel valued because you're telling them the stuff that they're doing well, and you'll see better skill acquisition because they they rather than like you said, oh great work. And then the kid jumps at the back of the queue or gets back into the modified game you play. And he's, oh, he said it was great. I feel good. I feel real good, which is fine. But I don't really know what was actually that good about what I just did. Yeah. So how can we be really specific to help players grow? And, and that that is a that is a massive um, that's a massive task. Like if co- if you're doing that as a coach, you're doing some great stuff. Yeah. Um, another little little asterisks that I put down, you talked about um, mistakes. Like how important are they? Yeah, heck, I'll just go with it. How important are like being able to make mistakes? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we've been down this river a hole a few times. But <laughs> I think, um, well, going back to, like if we think about learning, like just learning, like a lot of our learning does happen from our best mistakes, right? Like, and going back to Albert Einstein's point, like, geez, I'd hate to think how many times he failed before he nailed one of his experiments or whatever that might look like. Going back to curiosity, you know, like that's where we can get some, if we're curious and we're trying new things, we have to accept that failure as part of the learning process. I think the challenge though, or the balancing act with that becomes, if there's lack of effort or lack of intent to get better and people are lazy, people might be lazy or whatever, or disengaged, then that that's a challenge because that's a bit different if there's mistakes happening with that kind of behaviour. But, mate, if you've got a group of, 
of players, athletes, whatever, that are putting 100% effort in and they're doing good stuff, we shouldn't really be punishing mistakes. We should be helping them to learn from their mistakes. I think that's one of the um, one of the greatest things coaches have is the tool to, you know, everyone talks about this all, all the time, which I totally value. This is why I work in sport as everyone talks about sport as the number one vehicle to build character, right? To build people. And my challenge to that sometimes is sport is the number one vehicle to reveal character. Because sometimes it can reveal our bad characters, character traits, as well as our good ones. Yeah. As our good ones. But I think that's where coaches have such an opportunity. Like if you can create an environment or, or as a coach, you know, like an example of that could be if a, if a player, I don't know, let's say tries a crossfield kick and, it, and, you know, there might have been acres of space out there, but the kick doesn't come off well. If we look at coaching the outcome of that, we'd be telling that first five or whoever did the crossfield kick that that's the wrong decision or that don't do that. Your, your kick's not good enough. But if we looked at the – took a step back and said, okay, if the 10 caught the ball, looked up, seen that there was no winger, in fact, there was a three-man overlap on the other side of the field and the winger was wide open – why would we not praise that, right? Because imagine how good that kid's going to be and that winger's going to feel when they start nailing that. Whereas if you stomp that creativity straight away by saying, don't do that again, wrong option, mate, that player's, that's, that again is, that's, um, it's not enabling them to be creative and it's not enabling them to get any better. It's just enabling them to play within fear. So then they'll just stick to distributing the ball. They won't do anything creative. And a lot of times, some of the best stuff you see at the end of the game, if it's a close game, is is those those offloads, those miracle offloads, or those little grubbers through that score the winning try, or whatever it might be. I, you know, how do we how do we create an environment as a coach where we help players to learn from mistakes? I think that's the question we should ask ourselves, rather than holding people um, under the knife of if you make a mistake, that's ten precepts or. You know, the job of a coach, if we're tr- talking about growing people and not just rugby players, how do we give them tools to be able to deal with failure? Because yeah. the failure is going to happen all the time from, geez, from the age of five to the whatever, to the premier grade, you're going to make a lot of failings along the way in life, not just rugby. So if you can learn that skill through rugby, well, how good's that? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I guess in... We were on a chat the other day with a guy called um, Bill Bestick and he was talking to us around failure. Like this guy is like insane. Like he's ex-SAS, so he's clocked the military. He's a anesthetist. So not only did he spend five years, he spent another like three years, so eight years to become an anesthetist. And and he also is a commercial helicopter pilot. So the dude can fly as well. So um, I said to him, there's nowhere in that sentence to me that says – failure like because you think mm-hmm. like he's, he's meant but he what he said is um which is really important is like along the way if he hadn't failed he'd never have gotten to those points in the first place like it's those and it's just like you just see you see the outcome you don't see kind of all the all the struggles and stuff that got to it so you're just reading out the outcomes and I think it's you kind of look at, um, and if we switch it back into rugby perspectives, um, one example would be like you look at the Crusaders and everybody, like they are a very well-oiled machine when they're on, but then they've got players that they've got someone as mercurial as, as Richard Wonga 
who can he has that creativity and he when he's out there he does look like he's he's having fun like I go back to that maybe that restart up against the Blues was it last year where he just a little short restart he catches it and he's dives down on his knees and then he almost scores a try all by himself like that there's that's creative yeah. fun like that's poetry that's happening in motion we're seeing it in front of our eyeballs but yet as as coaches we we try and stifle that a little bit I think because of like what you well, said around, around that outcome base like if that doesn't work out is, is Razor throwing the Razor throwing the pad at the <laughs> at the window screen go what are you doing yeah, it's a good point, man. It's a really good point. And I think that's, uh, yeah, because a lot of the great players at any age group, in any level, professional or, or amateur, they do, they do really creative things, right? And Rich, like that example you talked about with Richie's a really good one. That was really creative and was awesome. Like, you know, that gave them the game. So I think, and then even going back to earlier things around lots of great players, like you said, that might become an all-black nap or... In any sport, if you actually look through their career, they have had some big, big failures, like missing kicks, you know, like it's like the classic Michael Jordan saying, you know, like I've missed X amount of shots. Yeah. Um, but it's from all those missed shots, you know, that I've learned like how to deal with it essentially, how to deal with failure. I think it's just a mess, but it is such a mindset shift. Like it really is tough as a coach to, but again, that, that's why I challenge when you start your season, one of the first questions you should ask yourself and only you have the answer is, you know, how are you going to define success at the end of the season? Because if it is all around winning trophies and um, all that all that outcome-driven stuff, then, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge to create an environment, an environment that allows for freedom yeah. from your players. But if, you, if, you def, if your definition of success is, I don't know, I want every player to improve their skill level in terms of catch, run, catch, pass by... I don't know every player can pass off their left with confidence, or or their non-dominant side, or every player can tackle with both shoulders, or whatever it might be. Or every player, um, you know, some coaches at a senior level might say, you know, every player comes back to the club rooms after the game because they feel connected to the club. Or the definition of success it might be if you're coaching at high school that you've got a really supportive parent network, you know, that is supporting the group, or whatever you want to do. What it, I mean, it's there's no right or wrong, but it's just around, it's process-driven rather than outcome-driven. And yeah. whatever processes you think, process goals or things that are going to help define success to create a good environment, that's that's where you spend your energy first and foremost. Yeah, and you're right, because there's another because there's another bit that's, that's probably itching my brain a wee bit as well, like, and, and you're probably, you're a, a new father, and and I myself am, am, a, am a father of two. Like as coaches, we kind of almost look at as our athletes as as our kids, and we want to protect them and we want to look after them and make sure that they they stay safe. So, how much of how much of that kind of not wanting them to fail is is attached to us as coaches? Because we do like ultimately we want our athletes to succeed. Like if we're coming from a really good place, like we're we want to develop them and grow them, and we want them to succeed, and we don't really want them to to fail. But yet, that's actually quite important to allow to yeah, step right. back and let them let them do it. Like how do, how do you? Sorry, I'm I'm 
going on a little bit on this, but like within it, within creating your environment and your training session, how do you create that, I guess, that important chance for them to fail? Oh, mate, that's, yeah, there's a great, um, that graph, eh? have you seen that around performance and pressure? And, you know, the, 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 the higher the performance goes is just the right amount of pressure. And then if there's too much pressure, we go into obviously what's called the panic zone, which is, yeah. you know, like you say, then we're, we're not succeeding, we're super frustrated, like really angry or whatever emotion. And then on the other side of that, if there's not enough pressure, our performance is low because we're in what we'd call the comfort zone. But if we've got the optimal amount of pressure, then we call it, we used to call it the stretch zone in seven. So yeah. sometimes, you know, because you, you don't want your players failing like every training, you know, sometimes, you know, to build their confidence up, like we can we can do some stuff to actually help build their confidence, some, some drills or some isolated micro work. But sometimes it's even to let your players know that it might be, right, tonight for the next three minutes, we're going to work on what's called the stretch zone. What does the stretch zone look like to you, um, John, one of the players? And, and you know, that could look like, oh, you know, it looks like we're putting a hat, like, 100% effort, we're working hard to get set, um, we're working on the finer micros, okay, great, that's that's what I want to know, that's, that's it's, it's high intensity. Yeah. And then you could ask, what does the comfort zone look like? Oh, like boring, disengaged, 50% intensity. Okay, now let me know what the panic zone looks like. Mate, guys yelling at each other, um, people, people blaming each other, uh, heaps and heaps of mistakes that are just like, all over the shop. So we're not saying that you can't put players in the panic zone because then how good is it when they can get out of it? Because every game, you've seen, we've seen, I mean, every coach in this world has seen their playing group go into the panic zone at some stage of um, coaching, I'm sure. But I think that's sometimes when we think about that, like going back to your point around how do we give them just enough so they can learn from their mistakes without kind of breaking them? It's kind of like that a great saying that um, a mentor of mine uses is like, I'll stretch you, but I won't break you. So we want to stretch people to help them get better and learn, but we don't want to take them to the point where they, you know, they want to give up the game or it's just too hard week on week out. So there is a balancing act to yeah. play there. If we, if we think about the learning, the learning side of things, how we learn. Yeah. And that's, that's really wicked that you talked about that, that stretch zone. Like I just read recently, um, Eddie Jones's book and he does something really wicked. Um, and wicked could be mean both exactly like cool and terrible at the same time. But, um, in his England camp, he'd set up scenarios or, or situations where all the just activities where there's only like, a 30% pass rate. So there's only a 30% chance that they're going to succeed at this particular thing that they're doing. Yeah. And within that, like he, he was talking about it, like he's a, he's building their, like um, their resilience and he's building like that kind of that pressure that's mounting on top of them. But it, conversely, like it, he's also building like the creativity because if they do succeed at it, they've found yeah. a way around like a 30% chance of succeeding. Like that's mm. like those odds are, that's like, that's like us finding that $12 million lotto ticket. But like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like it's, that's pretty, they're building that curiosity. They're building that, that resilience to be going, well, okay, maybe there is going to be a 30% chance of succession, but I'm, I'm up for that. 
I'm up for that. Mate, oh, I think that's awesome. Because the, 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 the thought there that you've that you've sparked is an interesting one around sometimes as coaches we do we do just jump into like the intensity, like let's just get into this activity and I'm gonna thrash the players and we're gonna make it hard and let's get them mentally fatigued with some fitness first. But we really haven't given them the tools to get out of the panic zone. Yeah. You know, so like we don't want to set people up for failure because going back to the purpose of enjoyment and fun. That's not that's not great enjoyment. But if we've given them tools and then and then we throw them into those kind of learning areas, the panic zone, the stretch zone. Imagine imagine how or even going back to enjoyment factors or satisfaction. Imagine the satisfaction players are going to get if you've given them some tools, you're throwing them into the panic zone, and then they have to try and get out as quick as they can. Imagine the enjoyment and satisfaction those players are going to be get with that feeling. You know, self belief, confidence, because they've got the tools. Yeah. If you're just a coach, just like I'm going to thrash them, and I want to see how they react. Well, chances are they're going to have a really ugly time because you haven't actually helped them or given them any tools to get out of the panic zone. And look, don't get me wrong. Like, um, if you want to do that as a one-off to see how players react or whatever, that's up to you. But I think if we the long-term game of trying to grow people. Like let's let's give them the tools. Let's not just let's not just throw them in the deep end with, with nothing to support them because that's that's not going to make them better on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent, bro. This is probably because I think you are you are the man with with this um, with this ability, but well, you have this stuff. So, what is the magic stuff that a coach or maybe a parent um, needs to make in their environment or that needs to make their environment fun because like some people, I guess some people like, and we talked about it before. Some people don't see fun as learning, but we've, we've talked about the fact that there can be within fun, there can be learning. What is that magic stuff that, that a coach or a parent or whoever it is needs to, um, needs to make sure that they have or that they bring? Well, you definitely, I think, um, I think you just got to you got to understand first. Well, there's a couple of things here. Geez, the first thing I don't know if this is what you need to bring, but you need to understand 100% is what's the context in front of you. I think this is where we often miss the boat. And and I I hand on heart can say that I've done this as a coach. Is often we coach and we think that again, it's like it's all about winning. And I might be coaching a 15s team, and, and it's about professionalism and got to teach them about nutrition and, and recovery and blah, 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 blah. But the context is, mate, you got if you've got 15-year-old boys or girls in front of you, you know, like a simple question is, Tim, what do you want out of the season? You know, like, the, I mean, the other day I was, I um, we did a cross-country event for all of um, this community in Canterbury, right? Massive, hundreds and hundreds of kids. I just did a snapshot little interview with four young girls aged 13. I said, what do you enjoy about the day? Oh, getting to run with my mates and getting to run through mud. Mate, nothing about where they placed on the day in the cross-country race. Or, but you can see how my own adult view would be like, did you enjoy like finishing in the top 10? You know, whereas their context is, mate, they just enjoyed getting muddy at a cross-country event and running with their mates from school. So I think that was what was fun for them and that was what was enjoyable for them. So I have to take my own ego off and go, well, what is going to make it enjoyable for you based off your context? I think is, is that is one of the biggest challenges I think we have as coaches is 
we often want, you know, like we we want the team to get better and we put our time and energy into these players. And so we do. We want we want that to go onto the rugby field or whatever, whatever sport you're coaching. But I think the first question to ask yourself is, well, what do they want and what's their context is really important. And then I think um what else makes it fun? I think if we understand the context, then you can you can do things like theming and stuff like that around what they want to do. Um Man, I think the other thing to understand around what you need to bring is like is um, role modelled behaviour. You know, like monkey see, monkey do. Like if you show up and you're grumpy, well, mate, the, whatever age group you're coaching, no matter what, the, people are going to feed off that, right? So I don't know. Sometimes it's I just think as coaches, it's it's really tough because you're you're one of the most privileged people to influence a person's life like so many you know if you look at some of the research that comes out of sport new zealand and and worldwide like some of the biggest trends are that what's the main reason you either keep playing sport or you dropped out and it's often the coach because they are so influential and if we think in particular and some of the bigger concerns that sport has around the teenage drop-off rates around the world a lot of it is to do with an experience that they would have had with a coach when they've surveyed the players so i think just always keeping it at the front of your mind is that it's a privilege that I get a chance to support these people that I'm coaching, whether they're whether they're senior players or because the the behaviour that you role model is is going to be picked up from um, from your players. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's um, and and we did touch on this last time. There's a cool wee thing around the fish philosophies, and we went into it real real briefly, but. But the story around the fish, fish philosophy is that there's a um, fish market in, in New York and it's like, it's world famous. And then there's literally just some fishmongers come together and they just started like, you could imagine being New York, you get up, early, a fishmonger gets up early, he buys his fish, he's cold, like, like what is fun about it? But they talk about, um, they talk about one of the values is like, um, like pick your attitude, so you can choose whether or not you're you're happy or sad. And and admittedly, like there, there's going to be contents and and stuff like that around that. But if you know that you've got a training session coming up, you can pretty much go. All right, for the next hour, I've just I'm going to bring high energy and I'm going to be super super happy. And then another really cool part is um, one of the one of their philosophies or values is making someone's day. And I think we kind of, like you said, and that touches on that privilege, like how privileged are we, um, especially if we're coaching like young youth, like how privileged are we as coaches to have an effect on these, these youths. And this could be their, their one day a week or their, or their three days a week if you're training two times a week. And they look back and they're like, this is epic. Like I love coming to Tuesday, Thursday trainings. I love playing on Saturdays. These are my favorite days of the week because they could quite well be their favorite days of the week. Mate, for a lot of for a lot of people, rugby or whatever sport they're engaged in, their sport is their highlight of the week. That is yeah. you only have to drive past the rugby club or or a, <laughs> anywhere on a Saturday and see how many parents or sit if you think about a senior game that's been played, you only need to look at how many people are watching that game on the Saturday to, to understand that sport 
plays a massive part in our society for for people's way to release, you know, like that's and that's awesome. And I think you're so right. Going back, the coach is the critical enabler and all of that, right? Like they literally, you know, you you, you build such good relationships with those players. Or you can choose to, you know, you can choose to not build relationships with those players. But and I think like you say, like making the effort to connect at the start of training with people helps fill your cup, you know, like if players come to training a quick, hey mate, how's the wife and kids? Next player comes in, maybe start passing a ball with him. Hey, how's um how was your trip up north last weekend? I know you were you're away for the week or whatever. Like those little relational conversations that are nothing to do with rugby, mate, that's gonna fill your cup because yeah. that's that's just humanizing it, making it like we're all humans here here for a greater purpose of rugby, but really we enjoy each other's company. So, you know, we often talk around like how do you get to know the, the person before the performer? Yeah. Often it's so easy to just delve into just getting to know the, the performer. Like it's so easy to talk rugby or any sport, whatever. If you're the coach of hockey, basketball, whatever, first question that comes up when the player arrives, mate, how was um what did you think of the game on Saturday? <laughs> yeah. And then boom, we're we're how's, just into technical. How's the body? So. <laughs> yeah, how's the body? And oh, mate, I'm so guilty of it. But I, I, yeah. I just think if the, you know, the deeper the relationship we have, again, linking back, the more enjoyment we're going to have. You know, the better we can support players because we get to know them as a as a person. So if their behaviours off of one day, we know because we know them as a person rather than just a performer. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a cool thing there that you said around filling your cup. Like, um, it could be completely different around like just filling your own personal personal well-being cup but there was a cool we um i read this book called the winning mindset by a guy called damian hughes and he he does this thing with um with any coaches that he's working with and he i'm pretty sure it's damian hughes but anyway he goes um draw me your draw me your cup and so generally the coaches that he's working with will draw them like a front-on view of of a trophy and, and stuff like that Oh, he yeah. draws his cup, or it could be a mug that says "World's Greatest Coach" or whatever it is. He draws his his cup from a bird's eye view, and then inside his cup, he's got words like he'll have, he'll fill it up with words that are important to him. So he could have like fun or laughter or excitement, yeah, like whatever it is, because it's all those things. If you add it into your cup and say your cup's a trophy and you want to hold that up. There's a lot of stuff that has to go into that cup for you to actually have have that trophy. Like it's not just the empty, it's not just the empty cup or empty trophy. So um, yeah, when you said that, that just kind of sparked my mind of like of what um, of what he does. And I've yeah, and when he said when I was reading the book, and he was like draw, mentally draw your draw your trophy, and automatically I was just like just I saw mine in front of me, and I was just like oh yeah, that's it. And then he's like I do mine like this, and I'm like whoa. And that really, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. that's process driven, right? Like yeah. he's talking around. These are all the things or attributes or um, things he puts energy to that ultimately do have a great outcome. Like yeah. because you know, that, but like you said, no, he's probably just explicitly stating it. Whereas other people go straight to the outcome. Yeah. You know, what's the what's the outcome? Winning this trophy, rather than like what's the process along the way going to be. Yeah, to, to enable me to do that, and yeah, that's really cool. That's an awesome, yeah. awesome little way to look at things, um, bro. This has been this has been a wicked a wicked chat. I guess one thing um, before we jump into our next quick fire segment, 
Um, if you were to if you were to give um, a little closing statement about the importance of fun within a within a coaching environment, what would it be? Oh, geez, that's a that's a that's a great question. Um, a little closing statement about fun, mate. I probably couldn't go past this would be the challenge, but like, just ask yourself simply around. Um, at any level, I'd say, like, no matter what, this great quote I got from a guy in the USA, but if you think about, I've said this so many times, people are going to just cringe probably when they hear it, but I don't care. If you think about um, Disneyland, like, no matter, Ken Martel gave me this quote, and he's done some revolutionary, revolutionised USA ice hockey. But his saying is, like, if you're any, any level, five-year-old to an adult, if I asked you the question, why do you go to Disneyland? Mate, not one single person is going to say, because I love waiting in lines. They're all going to say, mate, I go to ride the rides, the roller coasters, whatever, the log ride, whatever. And yeah. I think if that's the mindset you need to think about. If What does training look like? Because, mate, if there's a whole lot of lines, people standing behind cones, rather than lots of small-sided activities, fun games, action learning, mate, kids are going to, or any level, mate, people are going to struggle to stay engaged. Yeah. So that would be my closing statement would be, honestly, like, you know, are, you, are they riding the rides at your training or are they standing in lines? And just think about that. And, and, and if they are standing in lines, well, mate, good on you for making the reflection and then how can you change that? Yeah. No, that's wicked. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably buy the uh, the fast pass if I was going to Disneyland to cut out those lines. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mate, that's the best. Yeah, frame that up to coaches. How do, yeah, you, yeah. how do you pay the extra money for the fast pass straight to the front? Yeah, yeah. No, that's wicked. All right. Quick fire, or as quick fire as possible. Um, and you've had practice to think about these because with the other yeah, yeah, brother. Uh, you're inviting three people for dinner. The most important part is what are you cooking? And then the next part, who are the three people that are coming? Yeah, and this can be anyone, and I reflected on this question, this can be anyone in the world, eh? Anyone, bro, living, dead, just whoever yeah, you want yeah, at the yeah, table with me. you, brother. Hey, very good. Um, well, okay. Well, firstly, man, what I'm cooking, I'll be laying down like some kind of, I don't know, Rogan Josh, or maybe like a slow-cooked lamb or something. Yeah. Something like that would be nice. Something with slow-cooked meat somewhere yeah. along the lines would be, the, would be the hit. Mate, three people, I think... Um, Wayne Smith would probably have to be there. Yeah, I've always been I've always been intrigued um, just with the way he thinks and his mannerisms and stuff. I think would be interesting. Um, my old man would have to be there um, just because he adds adds a bit of passion and flair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, geez, the third person. Yeah, who else would your third person be? Like, you what? I'd say my wife. Yeah. Um, would have to be the third person to be fair, and that would be that would be a, that would be an entertaining evening. You know, you'd have yeah. Scottish, you'd have a Scottish guy you can't understand. You'd have my wife, and then you just have me and Smitty talking coaching all night. So all chowing down on some Rogan Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's awesome. Um, who's the best coach you've had, and why? Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, well, I. This was a good question actually last week. My best coach was my under 14, under 16 um, ice hockey coach who was a young fella. Well, young, by young, he was in his 20s, but um, 
he was just a man, eh? He was yeah. just such a good connector of people. And and, and, and think, like I said last time I spoke to you, like the stuff that I learned from him, like just was timeless because it still, it was stuff that I still use when I became like a premier player and stuff as well, which I, it's just crazy how stuff like that that you learn at that age still still helped me so much as I got to playing like senior senior stuff and rep yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, and again, man, like he was just, he was just such a good connector. Like the relationship I had with him was, I, I called him my mate. Like I'd honestly call him like he was just one of my good mates. We could just talk to each other about it. And I think that's what made it so good. And I, yeah, I think I spoke about last week too, like just little conversations that he used to have pre-game and stuff to get the best out of me. Like he just knew, and it's not until you don't, I don't think you know this when, when you're a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old, it's not until you reflect later on in life, but he was intentional about those conversations he was having with me in terms of trying to get the best out of me. So I think, um, yeah, he was cool. He was a cool yeah. guy. And, and I think it's I think it's really important to highlight these coaches and, and use their names. So what was your coach's name? Oh, his name was Adam Cook, man. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is to this day. Probably, I think he lives in Australia. To be fair, um, yeah. Shout out to you, Adam Cook, if you ever do. Yeah, shout out to Adam Cook, mate. Wherever you are, mate. Number on this podcast. It's um, <laughs> it's that's wicked. That's cool. Um, one of your favourite rugby memories, coaching or playing? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, it's tough, man. There's a there's a couple way because I reckon. Yeah, it's hard to say. There's so many good memories, and rugby's done so much. Um, I'd say that the two that are the closest is like the yeah, the Youth Olympics was really awesome. Like going to that and that experience, and because that was like a nail-biting game. That yeah, it was awesome. Man, that was if you want to talk about being in the panic zone or the street zone, like or you know like being able to bounce between the two. I think that was that was the mo- that was the most learning I've ever done as a coach because we literally had. Yeah, like two weeks out, just what the coach that I was coaching with just couldn't come due to personal reasons. So just yeah, it was just me, just me and the SNC and the physio and the manager. Yeah, boom, we're we're off to Argentina. So it was really cool. It was a really cool group and and just a really special group of players that are all all still playing actually, which is awesome. But there there were a couple of players that were just awesome to work with that made a massive difference to that campaign. Yeah, no, I remember you talking about uh, when we did this. Did the first take of this potty um, about the captain that you had, and she ended up uh, injuring herself. Was that right? And then she brought yeah, her yeah, like two weeks, two weeks out from leaving, she did her shoulder, I believe, um, which was just so devastating. But but mate, that going back to the, the character of some of these, well, all of these players is yeah, like that that player flew over off her own bat to be part of the team, just. Okay. And, and and I don't know if you know, but in like in in the in, in those Olympic style events, like you, it's really hard to actually connect with the public because you like you you stay in the village and blah, blah, blah. so she actually didn't get to connect with us until after the tournament. Like she just had to watch the game in the stands with all the other fans and family members. So you know, like even just to to just do that, I think off your own bat, I think um, go just says the type of person that you are, right? You know, you're she she was just such a team first player yeah which was awesome now that's cool um, yeah awesome um what's one bit of advice you'd give a young jimmy starting out his uh his coaching career 
Oh, man, that's a great question. I can't remember how I answered that last time. What is one piece of advice I'd give? Mate, take it easy. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to. I think, yeah, I think as coaches, eh, we, like, come out of the gate. Well, I certainly do. Like, you come out of the gate so hot, you know, you want to – you've got to make a name for yourself and you, you know, you try to try to um, take up new opportunities and you, you say, for me, I just used to say yes to everything. Right. Yeah. I think if I was to go back and reflect, I'd say to myself, mate, why are you coaching? And, and the reason I was coaching was to just enjoy it and enjoy the company of help other people. Would, uh, yeah. And then it kind of it went off on, on a different tangent. So I think it would just be slow down and enjoy it. Like and enjoy that. You don't have to always be trying to, get that coaching job to go to that coaching job to go to that coaching job, you know, like it was, mate, enjoy where you are right now coaching the group that's in front of you because yeah. that's, that's where you get the most reward, you know. So I think, um, yeah, I'd just say, yeah, wherever you're coaching, just enjoy the moments that you're having right then and then rather than thinking too far into the future. You know, that's that's epic. Yeah, I I, I agree. And that'd probably be some of the advice that I'd, I'd give myself um, as well because you, you're right. You do come in real hot. You've got this, got all these crazy ideas, or you've just gone to this coach's course and you just want to vomit it all up at everybody, and you're just like, pull back, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, what's your go-to drill, brother? You've got training tomorrow or training tonight? Yeah. First training. What do you? What's your go-to drill? <laughs> I do. You. I my go-to. Is definitely the counter-attack activity that I talked about last time around. You know, like you get, yeah, yeah. So it might be five on five, six on six, whatever you got numbers-wise. And yeah, you just one team starts as the attacking team. And then as soon as you make a touch, you're just out of the game. But the amount of points you get is based off how many defenders are left at the end. Yeah. So if you end up, if you score, if you score off the first phase, six on six, six points to you, to your team. Yeah, and then if you drop the ball, turnover, and then the other team gets a crack. So yeah, I always just found that game real interesting, just because it was like just how or how quick it enhances learning, because they'd soon learn they can be creative and they can high risk, high reward, and maybe get no points. Or what's the balancing act between you know risk versus reward potentially? Yeah. Like maybe when we get to six on four, we can have a good crack. Yeah, and score or six on five. Let's be a bit more risk there, but so yeah, it's it's a go to. It's man, I've had that done that for years. Need need to upgrade. Yeah, <laughs> oh mate, you can't beat a classic as long as they're still having fun and enjoying it and learning. Yeah, that's mate, hundred percent. Sweet. Um, last and final question, bro, and it's a biggie. What does being a coach mean to you? Oh, deepest. I think I've mate. I think I've referenced this again. Um, but I I reckon honestly, going back to it's just such it's a privileged position, honestly, to be a coach. Like I think I said this last week, but I have to say it again. We're the, we're the only profession coaching. Really, we you, you don't legally have to have a qualification to do it. Like if you wanted to coach, if you wanted to coach, uh, if you wanted to teach at primary, primary, secondary, mate, you got a three-year degree at least. Yeah. But in coaching, we we honestly get given this amazing opportunity to literally grow and support other people and really all we have to do is just be a good human and that's what enables us to do that so I think that's a pretty I think that's that's a pretty special place to be you know like if you yeah when you get that opportunity to support and grow other people is is just really cool and it's I think because the example of that I give is often when you catch up with players 
way down the track in their life. You know, you might have coached them when they were 18 and you see them when they're 28. Yeah. And they're doing really good for themselves. You know, like that, that's such a cool um, – they might not even be playing rugby, but they're just yeah. doing good stuff in life. You know, they might just bought their first house or got married or just started a brand-new cool job, whatever, but they're just good people and yeah. it's just good to know – well, it's good – like you're a very small, small part of that, but you're, you're a part of it. So I think that's that's the cool part of coaching. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, bro, when it comes to – that's a wicked, wicked way to end it, um, this potty round two. Um, and and you talked about being a good human. I can't think of, of a better human, my bro. You're, you're absolutely epic. Um, I said at the top of the show about you having just charisma oozing out everywhere. Um, and I can't thank you enough for doing doing a round two again as well. So coming on and having a chat um, with me and having some yarns and passing on some knowledge to um, to our wicked community, bro. So thank you so much um, for being so generous with your time. It is a precious resource. Um, but yeah, it's wicked. It's been as always been a pleasure to um, share the mic and the screen with you, brother. Oh, kia bro. I appreciate that. And bro, credit to you, man, for getting all this up and running. Like you're doing some awesome mahi uh, in there at Canary Rugby, bro. So keep it up. Loving the energy. And bro, yeah, just real grateful to be on. So thanks for thanks for reaching out. Always keen for a chat. And uh, I'm sure there'll be many more rounds to come just through general conversation. So yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, we'll have to meet up at Town Tonic for another coffee soon. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Awesome. Cheers, brother. Go well and um yeah, we'll talk soon. Cheers, brother. Cheers, brother.